Welcome to um, our afternoon seminar. Um, we've had a great run of things on um, Tuesday. We had Matt and Phil Yates talking about why music and creativity is important to God. Um, and yesterday we had an amazing Q&A with um, Lou Fellingham. Um, he's a brilliant musician and songwriter. And today I am talking on um, music and cancel culture um, and the difficulties and the tension between um, what do we do when people who make amazing music sometimes aren't amazing people? Um, but we'll, we'll get into that. This is largely going to be sort of laid back. I've got some thoughts on this. I'm going to open it up for questions. Because um, as I've been thinking about this and preparing this, it's, it's a really difficult subject to sort of get a handle on. Um, so I wanted to start by just saying... Um, there's nothing in here that I particularly think is going to be triggering or anything like that, but we are talking about sensitive issues, about essentially harmful opinions at times. Um, so I just wanted to sort of say that if anything does come up that, that sort of hits you... Um, do talk to your youth leaders, do talk to our pastoral team. Um, there are people, people around to, to help you walk through that if you, if you need it. But as I say, I'm not particularly expecting any of that, but us humans are complicated creatures and, and things do come up when we're not expecting them. So I thought I'd start with what is cancel culture? And I think you'll get a different answer from anyone you hear talking about it. Because um, for some people, it is a defensive tactic, and it is just something that people say when they get a reaction they don't like. And to other people, it's a really genuine concern that we should be grappling with and, and talking about. Um, the phrase cancel culture actually comes from um, African-American vernacular English. Um, that's Ave, and that is, um, is essentially um, black slang. Um, and there is a really long history of um, a predominantly white popular culture taking words from black culture and misusing them and twisting them and things like that. And honestly, that's a bit of what's happened with cancel culture as a phrase. It was originally just meant a personal decision to not engage with something because they said something that was harmful. And now it's become this whole big thing. And I think when I see it talked about now, I see it break down into one of four categories. Um, one is that people talk about it as um, if they've been cancelled, it means someone has lost jobs or work because of a reaction. So you might see someone say that there was, um, they said something and there was a backlash on Twitter and because of that they lost out on jobs or they were deplatformed or they couldn't do what they want. Um, the more common sense I think is in using it in a sense of being a boycott. So um, if you've cancelled someone it's just I don't want to give them my money because I don't agree with what they are saying. And that has a really strong tradition. Um, we live in a culture where money is power. And often the best way that a marginalized community can leverage um, power against a more powerful 
um, figure or organization is to say, well, if you're going to say things like that, I'm not going to give you my money. Um, I think there's a third way that it comes up quite often, which is the least helpful use of it, which is just, I said something, you didn't like it, therefore you're cancelling me. Um, and you can quite often see this. Um, a really good example of this is Donald Trump. <laughs> um, and you'll see him say absolutely outrageous, horrific things. And then people will go, you can't say that. That's terrible. And he'll go, how dare you cancel me? <laughs> it's like, that's not what's going on here. You just shouldn't be a terrible person. Um, and the fourth, which I see less talked about, but I think is an, an element of this, is, um, is a sort of silencing effect of it all, which is that you can get to a point where people are worried that there will be a negative reaction if they say something. So they don't say anything. And this isn't talked about as much because by nature, people aren't saying it, so you don't see it. Um, and... I think that's, that's the one that perhaps is, is difficult within, within culture and difficult to, to see. Um, I think we see a lot, of, a lot of the time we see this sort of thing talked about. It's from a certain area of people. And I, I feel that if we're, if we're going to take this issue seriously, we need to acknowledge both sides of, of what it looks like. And there's often a really strong power imbalance at play um, when we talk about these things. So um, John Ronson is a journalist, and he wrote a book years ago um, called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And it was all about Twitter storms on the internet, um, social media backlash. And he had this story in it about... Um, there, was this, there was a woman at a tech event... And she was pretty much the only woman there. It was largely predominantly a male event. Um, and she heard two men a couple of rows ahead of her having a private conversation, but that conversation was full of sexist jokes, lewd remarks. So she put up a photo of them on the internet and said, can't believe this was happening. It made me feel so uncomfortable. It made me feel like as a woman, I shouldn't be in this space. And those two men, as a result of that Twitter storm that followed, lost their jobs. One of those men then came out and publicly shared his side of how he'd felt that interaction went. And there was a backlash against the original woman who had posted it. And then she lost her job. So you've got three people out of a job because of this online thing. At the time he wrote the book, the two men had both been employed in new jobs and she was still currently unemployed and unable to get work. And there's a real difficulty here and I think we often talk about, about views being silenced or people not talking about things and we hear that from essentially powerful white men um, who are, are talking about how their views have been, been silenced and they don't feel comfortable saying what they believe anymore. But what we don't often hear is that um, people from 
queer communities and women and um, BIPOC communities and, and marginalised people who actually feel unable to, to share their own stories because there is such a risk of a negative backlash and that negative backlash has far more real consequences for them than it ever would, for example, me. Um, and I think it's really important to acknowledge that because I think in, in, a lot of, in a lot of Christian spaces, to be honest, we can see um, a, real, a real concern and perhaps a very accurate and real concern that our, our um, ethics, our views, things like that, are no longer allowed to be aired in public culture. Um, and I think it's important to acknowledge that for many, many, many years, actually what's been the case is that marginalised communities have been oppressed and unable to, to talk, um, and that finally they are, they are starting to, to gain space in public discourse that, that wasn't there before. Um, so I think that's a really important thing to, to acknowledge as we, as we look at this and talk about it. Um, I've got a list of, I literally, like, while I was planning this, I wrote down the first names that came to mind um, when I thought of people who say they've been cancelled, people who are difficult to engage with on a cultural level, um, people that I've known friends say, oh, um, you can't listen to that person's music anymore. You can't go to that person's films. Um, I thought I'd just go for a few of them and sort of share a bit about how I've gone with that. There are no right or wrong answers here. It's a really complicated topic. Um, and all I can hope to do here and now is help, help share a bit of of process on, on ways of thinking about it um, and hopefully um, discuss it a bit with you guys and, and open up and, and chat about it afterwards. Um, so the first name on my list is perhaps the most straightforward in my mind, which is Kanye West. Um, because I love Kanye West as an artist. I think he completely changed hip-hop. He brought an entire different way of sampling into, into music. Um, and then he started saying things that were really anti-Semitic and really damaging to, to the Jewish community and caused very real harm. And for me, I hit a point where I was like, okay, I, I can't, in my own good conscience, buy new Kanye West albums. Um, because, because for me to do that is to, in some way, support him and support his celebrity and support who he, who he is in the public sphere. And I don't want to do that. And I would rather sacrifice owning his albums than I would contribute towards that. It's a complicated area because, I mean, I still listen to him on Spotify. <laughs> um, and 
whilst personally I'm like, I'm not going to buy anything new, I'm not getting rid of the stuff I already own. I'm still like, I'm still interested in seeing what he does. It's, I wish I could say it was like a really black and white, like, oh, you crossed this line and he's gone. Um, but it's not. A similar name in this um, that comes up often is J.K. Rowling. Um, because, and J.K. Rowling is, she's not unique in how she does this, but, um, but she's certainly the most prominent of it, is if you, if you spend any time reading J.K. Rowling's tweets, which I, I, don't, I don't suggest you do, it's not a, it's not a happy place, um, it's a very angry place, um, but it won't take long before she says, if my views are so bad... Why do I sell this many books? And she, and she very actively takes her support of, her, of the world she's created, of Harry Potter, and says, oh, that's also support of my views that are... I'm trying very hard, I should say because I will pause at multiple points in this talk like this. I'm trying very hard not to come down one side or the other with, with a lot of people I'm talking about. Um, so for some people, J.K. Rowling has very sensible views on, on trans rights, and for some people, she has absolutely abhorrent views on trans rights. And I am, I am not going to tell you where on that spectrum I personally fall as much as I can. Um, but she will... There is a case that buying new things from her will get used by her as an argument that everyone who buys her things supports her. But Harry Potter is like such a cool world to be in. And, and really, really unfortunately, given that a lot of what she has to say is about the, the queer community... Um, it's it's a it's a world that a lot of a lot of trans people and a lot of queer people, a lot of non-binary people have just found home in and have found something in that they can they can say, oh, that represents me. Um, so it's really difficult. Like she's perhaps one of the strongest. Can you detach the art from the artist? Can you, can you really do that? For some people, that's really easy. For me, I feel like it comes down to how involved she is in something. I'm not, I'm not buying Robert Galbraith books, which is her pseudonym that she writes under for crime novels. Um, because I'm not... I'm, I said I wasn't going to say where I fall on any of this because I don't particularly want to support what she's saying. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not buying those things. But then I own Harry Potter films. I own Harry Potter books. I watch Harry Potter TikToks. I watch Harry Potter cosplayers. Um, I, I quite like Harry Potter as a space. Um, how do we do that? How do we do that? Like, um, and I think, like I said, it's not a black and white. That's, that's partly something we each have to decide. And I guess part of what I want to bring out of this is a sense of um, it's okay to disagree on these things. Um, 
and there are, there are difficulties there, but how much you engage with an artist is, is something that I feel we can humbly and gracefully disagree with each other on. Um, I've got James Gunn on this list. Who made, he's a director. He made the Suicide Squad films, and he made Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know why I didn't lead with Guardians of the Galaxy. That's the big one. Um, and he's now in charge of the entire DC filmic universe. Um, and what happened with him was he was doing Guardians of the Galaxy, and um, I think it was Guardians of the Galaxy 2, might have been 3, and some tweets resurfaced from about five, ten years ago where he had said... I can't actually remember what he'd said, but it, it was bad. Um, and I'm pretty sure it was sort of sexist-type stuff. Um, and he, he came forward and said, I agree that was terrible. I've changed. I don't believe that anymore. I've deleted those tweets since. I don't stand by them. And he was taken off the Guardians of the Galaxy film. And then all of, his, all of the actors said, no, he has changed. He is an amazing person. He's not like that anymore. And he was put back on the Guardians of the Galaxy film. Um, he's probably on the other side of the spectrum for me of like Kanye West, of someone where you've seen real change. And I think the whole point, if there is a point to boycotting someone or to cancelling them or saying we don't think they should be involved in, in a public industry, um, it is to try and encourage people to reevaluate their views and to change. So if someone does change and does reevaluate their views, it seems to me relatively straightforward to say, okay, come back in the fold. Um, that isn't to say that that's always straightforward we don't know people's hearts some people say I've completely changed and then carry on doing the same thing yet again it's all grey there is no black and white I wish there was um, I've got a couple more names that I just wanted to sort of name check one is um, one is really recent which is Kevin Spacey um, he was accused of uh, sexual misconduct um, and a few years ago and has not made any new films since. He was Lex Luthor in Superman Returns. He was running the... Uh, he was like a creative director at the Old Vic in London. Um, he was on House of Cards in America. That was his big one at the moment. Um, he has just been acquitted and found not guilty on all counts um, of sexual misconduct that were in court. At the same time, an internal review at the Old Vic found 20 allegations of staff against him. And I just wanted to bring him up because I think we have a real want sometimes for things to be clear-cut. And I know lots of people who, the moment he was acquitted, said, oh, well, that's great. He's totally fine. He's been totally, like, falsely, falsely victimised. There's nothing wrong here. We don't have to worry about it. 
I know other people who have looked at it and gone, the entire legal system's broken. And this just shows that juries will never convict on, on sexual crimes. And, and that's completely gone. And he is completely guilty, and I can't believe he was acquitted. And, and I think the answer is, we're never going to know. And I think that's really difficult when it's someone so public, um, when, when you're then trying to make decisions based on what you support. Um, a similar thing with the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case. Um, everyone I know um, has a very strong conviction on which one of those two people they will not support currently. And, and unfortunately, I don't think we're ever going to know whether our convictions on that are right or wrong. Um, so I do, I do think with all of these areas, like I said earlier, it's, it's a bit of a... You have your convictions. You, you constantly go to God with them. And you constantly reflect on them. And you do what you feel is, is right. You do what you feel is, is what, what Jesus would do in that situation. And you, you go forward with it. Um, my, last, my last name um, is Wagner, who is long, long dead. <laughs> um, Wagner was a classical composer who wrote really, really long operas. Um, I personally am not a fan of Wagner um, because his operas are really, really long. They're like hours long. And he wrote like them in cycles. So it's like the idea is that you, you watch days worth of operas back to back and... Oh. I've, there, are, there will be opera fans out there who, are, who listen back to this recording and they're just like, how dare you? He was amazing. But, um, but I'm not a fan. However, all cinematic music is based on his work. <laughs> like, he invented what he called the leitmotif. He invented, like, themes in cinema. Like, a hugely influential person. Also, incredibly anti-Semitic, and Hitler was a huge fan of him because of it. And it's like, that's not good. Like, he's not a good person. Um, and I think, I think there's an element in which, for me, there is an easier decision on whether I, I acknowledge his work, listen to his work, buy his work if, if it's relevant, which is that um, he, is, he is dead. And... I am not financially supporting him in any way because he is not here to make money. Um, and I do think so much of this, like, how do we listen to good music from bad people? How do we participate in art where the people in it are, are not just flawed but are actively hurting others? After a certain amount of time, there's a sense of support Listening to that doesn't support anyone. Listening to that doesn't condone views. Um, and, and I want to acknowledge that 
there will be people who disagree with me on that. Um, and they're not wrong. <laughs> just like I'm... Just like I'm not wrong or right. There's, there's so much space here. Um, I guess the only other thing to, to sort of slightly reflect on is... Um, I spoke earlier about power imbalance and about, um, about how, how this affects different communities differently. And whilst, I, whilst I've been talking, I've really sort of been struck by remembering how Jesus deals with, with people who say things that he disagrees with. And it varies depending on who they are. So you take someone like the woman caught in adultery and Jesus finds her and the entire crowd are saying what she has done is terrible and and she must be punished and Jesus stands up and says he who is without sin cast the first stone none of you have a right to judge her none of you have a right for this public shaming and and sends her on her way and, and builds relationship with her. Jesus sees the Pharisees being um, being hypocritical, and he will publicly call them out in really sarcastic ways. And Jesus basically has a tendency to call out people in power and reach out to people who are marginalized. And we see it often throughout the Bible. Prophets will call out kings and nations. They don't walk up to random people on the street and say, you've done this wrong. They, but if it's King David, yeah, they walk, they walk into him and say, how dare you have done this thing. If it's the entire nation, then yeah, they stand up and they say, why on earth... Why on earth aren't you looking after people like God told you to? Um, so there is, there is a difference depending on, on where someone is in society and, and how society as a whole treats them. Um, I, am, I am aware that I have not given any answers. Um, I'm aware that that in my own head, this chat has been perhaps rambly and unclear. <laughs> um, but I do want to give space and just say, just open up for questions. Um, we've got half an hour left, which might be full of deathly silence or might be full of questions and interesting discussion. Um, if no one has any questions, then that's okay. Um, and I am rambling to let you have time to think if you do um, and to let one of my team grab a mic so that if anyone does that they can actually be heard um, thank you Phil <laughs> um, so if anyone does have any questions um, like feel free to ask me vague, vague questions about these sorts of issues or specific questions or anything and I will do my best to answer or help walk through or anything. <laughs> 
I will also just say I will repeat the question for the recording because I know I should be doing that. I'm just curious here. You said that quite a lot of mu movie music is inspired by Wagner, what, what, however you pronounce it. Yeah. What, what, what movie music is inspired by him? Like, do you have any names of songs that are, are inspired by him? Or? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, so that was... Um, I talked about film music being inspired by Wagner and in what ways and are there any specific links. Um, Wagner created a way of writing music that was based on you write like melodies that are attached to certain people, you write love themes and, and then they come back throughout the piece um, and what you now see in film music is things like Star Wars has a theme and you have Luke's theme and you have Leia's theme you have Leia and Han's love theme that way of writing music is very Wagnerian um, so it's sort of Opera walked so film could run, basically. Anyone else? Okay. <laughs> well, we will leave it there. If you want to chat to me, feel free. Um, I'm just going to pray for us quickly, um, and then we'll move on. Um, so, God, thank you that you give us art and creativity and music. Thank you that... Thank you that you've, you've given us these ways to express ourselves. And I pray that as we, as we engage with that, as we, as we seek to best express you in, in our lives, in our creativity, in our purchases, in our support, you would help us walk these difficult waters, these, these unmapped paths of of where to go. You haven't given us straightforward answers, but you've given us relationship and, and you've given us love and, and openness. And I, I pray that, that all of us would, would be able to, to walk with you by the Spirit through this. Amen.